Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. In the last few episodes, I've been talking about Catholic Mass. So just as a brief reminder, Catholics believe that when they celebrate Mass, they are participating in the same sacrifice that was offered by Jesus during the Last Supper with his disciples, when Jesus was on the cross at Calvary, and also every time Mass is celebrated within the Roman Catholic Church. So it's the same, they are representing the same single sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, uh, but it takes place mystically at the Last Supper as well as when Mass is separated or celebrated today. Now, my argument against that was that there is a contradiction in what the Bible teaches about the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross versus what Catholics teach about the sacrifice at Mass. So, for instance, uh, the Bible says that Jesus' sacrifice was once for all, and it's it's contrasted against sacrifices which are offered repetitively. And also, Jesus' sacrifice perfects those who draw near. It, it makes them perfect. There is no longer any remembrance of sin. There's no no need for further sacrifice because their sins have been forgiven. Now, can, when we compare that to Mass, Mass is very repetitive. Some people participate in it every single day of their of their life, adult life. Uh, it does not perfect you. So it gives you more grace, but then as we learned last time with sanctifying grace, you can sort of lose that if you don't keep adding to it. Grace is like a commodity in the Catholic Church. So it mass is repetitive, it does not perfect a person that partakes in it. In fact, you could have you technically you could go to mass a thousand times, then commit a mortal sin and die and go to hell. You could also participate in mass last week and then die and have to go to purgatory for venial sins that you've committed. So it does not perfect those who draw near. That it is unlike the sacrifice Jesus offered on the cross. Now, today, I'm going to look at some Bible passages that talk about the Last Supper. And so Catholics will say that the Last Supper is also the same sacrifice that Jesus offered on Calvary. And they mainly say this because in the the accounts that we have in the Bible of the Last Supper, there there is sacrificial language being used. And so Catholics will go to these, uh, like the Greek words that are used and say, see, these words are used to talk about sacrifices. And so this is obviously a sacrifice that was offered by Jesus during the Last Supper. Now, Protestants, we sort of come back and say, well, of course it's sacrificial language because they were celebrating the Passover meal, which is a sacrifice. So Jesus is taking the Passover sacrifice, this tradition that the Jews had had celebrated every year, remembering their exodus from slavery in Egypt. They're taking the Passover, or Jesus is taking the Passover sacrifice, and then he's using these these symbols that were part of the Passover meal, and now changing those symbols to talk about himself. So of course there's sacrificial language, but it does not mean that the Last Supper was a sacrifice. This Jesus is pointing to the sacrifice he's about to offer on the cross, that once for all sacrifice. So, you know, I disagree with Catholics and, and Protestants in general disagree with Catholics that the Last Supper and that Mass is somehow mystically united and offering the same sacrifice or representing the same sacrifice that Jesus offered on the cross. 
So the passages we're going to look at today are Matthew 26, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, and then I'll also share a few quotes from early church fathers, and uh, and then next week we're going to get into John 6. So those are some of the passages that we'll use. Now, also, sometimes during these episodes, and this has been pointed out to me, so, so I'm I'm glad they did, and I'd like to address it. But sometimes during these episodes on Catholicism, I know I can come across as harsh, maybe even heartless, and and I, you know, it's this is not a personal thing. Um, if if my tone would be much different, let me put it this way: my tone would be much different if this podcast was me having a conversation with a Catholic. Okay, so it would be friendly. Um, that you know, there would be disagreements, of course, but it would not be as uh, as harsh, maybe as as what I come across during these episodes. I mean, this is just me talking into a microphone. Um, now, if you're a Roman Catholic and you hear this podcast and you enjoy discussing these theological issues, then reach out to me and and we can set something up. Uh, but I've spent hours speaking with Catholics and Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, and even uh, there was there was one Muslim guy that I saw in the office uh, that was you know interested in talking about these things, and so we did a, a Zoom meeting one time. Um, so you know all of these conversations were respectful; they were calm conversations uh, because I realize I'm talking to another person, and there's a, a respect there, even though we disagree with one another. So. It would be my tone would be different if I was talking to someone personal, but these podcasts, this is I'm not speaking against a person. I'm speaking against the system of Roman Catholicism. And so this system stands between sinners and their savior, in my opinion. Uh, they, they take away from scripture by adding tradition. Many of these traditions took over a thousand years to, you know, after Christ to develop. They take away from the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ by teaching that through the Roman Catholic Church, you can gain more merits from the excess good works and merits of Mary and the saints. They take away from the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ by saying it must be represented over and over again to get more and more grace, only to lose that grace grace if you commit a mortal sin. And and so you know that's that's the issues that I have with Roman Catholicism and so the, these podcasts are not personal. They I am I am sort of going against the system of Roman Catholicism. So yes, if I seem sort of uh, angry <laughs> at times, it's because I believe the Roman Catholic Church is teaching a false gospel. Now, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe, and sometimes I'm not very good at stopping and saying, okay, here's what I believe. Essentially, though, this whole series on Roman Catholicism is is basically explaining the reasons I am a Protestant and the reasons that I am not a Roman Catholic. So essentially, why I believe what I believe in that regard. Now, if you have any questions, you can email me, bearchristianity at gmail.com, or you can message me on Instagram at therealbearmartin, and each of those words has a little um, uh, underscript between them, at therealbearmartin. Now, this episode of Bear Christianity is sponsored by Prepare for Repair. Have you ever set out to repair something yourself instead of hiring an expert? Then you've likely encountered that point where the future feeling of accomplishment is long gone and there's nothing left but a boiling temper and personal injury. Introducing Prepare for Repair. 
Prepare for Repair is a subscription service which is able to identify when you are beginning a DIY project. This activates a warning message which calmly explains to you this project is going to be a lot more difficult than you expect. It will take at least five times as long as you estimated and will cost you more than you would have paid the expert. With the family upgrade, Prepare for Repair also notifies your wife and kids that nothing you say for the next 48 hours should be taken personally. It also reminds your wife and kids that you love them and that they should be extremely grateful for your self-sacrifice. Prepare for repair. Never start a project without it. Details may vary. Some restrictions may apply. Okay, the first passage I want to discuss is Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, this passage in Matthew 26 is a, a it has parallel passages in Mark 14 and Luke 22. So you can read those for yourself. The Matthew, Mark and Luke are called the synoptic gospels and so a lot of the stories that are found within those gospels are very similar. And so this Matthew account again can be in found in Mark 14 and Luke 22. There are some differences between the the three passages uh, but this this will cover the basics of what I need for today. Now, what's very interesting to note as well, and I'll talk about this more in next week's episode when we talk about John chapter six. But John, the Gospel of John, essentially skips these details in the Last Supper. So, in the Gospel of John, you have Je- that's the, where we have Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, and then we also have the account where Peter sort of motions to John. Uh, John is sitting right beside Jesus, and and Peter motions to John, is like, ask Jesus. Jesus, who's going to betray him? And that's where Jesus says, it's the one that I that I dip the bread in and give, uh, I dip the morsel in and give it to him. And of course, he does that for Judas Iscariot. And so again, we'll talk about it next week, but I think it's interesting that John just doesn't include any of these details uh, in, in his gospel account. Now, it said Jesus says that take the, you know drink this this is the the blood of the covenant this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins this blood of the covenant is talking about a a uh, during Old Testament sacrifices, wine would be poured out on the sacrifice at the altar or at the base of the altar. And so that's that's kind of what Jesus is talking about. This blood of the covenant is poured out for you. And this is a reference to Jeremiah 31, uh, verses 31 through 34 is what I'm going to read here. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land. Of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So this new covenant talks about the 
the absolute miracle of salvation. This new covenant is where God removes uh, another um, uh, passage that talks about this new covenant is in Ezekiel 36. And that's where we, we have the verse where God removes the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. So this new covenant is the work of God to save sinners. It is a miracle that God works in the hearts of those who believe. And so that's that's what this blood of the covenant is talking about. Now, there are a lot of little details in these Last Supper accounts that that I could talk about, um, but I'm, I'm actually going to keep it fairly superficial. One thing that I want to bring up, though, Jesus says that, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, what's interesting here is Catholics, after the bread and wine, after transubstantiation has taken place, it's it's sort of wrong to in in Catholic minds to call it the bread and the wine. They they refer to it as the consecrated host or just simply the body and blood of Christ. But you don't call it bread and wine anymore because it has been changed. However, Jesus uses the the he says, "I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you." So of this fruit of the vine. Why doesn't Jesus refer to this as his blood? If he's if he's truly changed it, if the Last Supper is a sacrifice, and he's truly changed it into his blood, and he's you know I, I just imagine Jesus is holding this in his hands as he's telling the disciples, you know, drink this, all of you, and I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine. You know why why wouldn't he say blood? It's it's technically blood now if the Last Supper is the sacrifice that Catholics say it is. Now, the next passage that I want to go to is 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 25. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Now, Catholics will say that they will want to point out the sacrificial language that is being used here. And so so this phrase, do this in remembrance of me, the, the verb do there is from poieo, which means to do or to make or to offer. It is used a ton in the Bible. And so uh, let me give you just a few instances. In Genesis 39.3, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did, that's the verb there, poieo, all that he did to succeed in his hands. In Romans 9.21, has the potter no right over the clay to make? There's the verb there, poieto, to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. So poieto has a massive range of meaning. It's used a you know ton in the Bible. And yes, sometimes it is used to talk about offering sacrifices or, or doing sacrifice, making sacrifices. So Catholics will, will point out that verb. Another word they'll point out is the, the word remembrance. The Greek word behind that is anamnesis. And so let me give you a quote from a Catholic Answers article. It's entitled, Evidence Christ Offered the Last Supper as a Sacrifice. Um, so, quote, not only did Jesus tell the, the apostles rather to do this, he said, do this in remembrance of me. 
and then they cite Luke 22, 19. Now, the Greek word for remembrance is anamnesis, which has sacrificial overtones in both the New and Old Testaments. For example, in the Septuagint, Moses tells the Israelites that their burnt offerings and peace offerings would serve as an anamnesis, or a remembrance before God. And then they reference Numbers 10, verse 10. Numbers chapter 10, verse 10. Now, I'm going to take a break here from this quote. If you go read Numbers 10, verses 1 through 10, the whole passage are about these silver trumpets that the Lord instructs them to make and to blow at certain times. And the blowing of these silver trumpets, the sound from the trumpets, is a reminder of the promises between God and Israel. So the anamnesis, this reminder, is, comes from the blowing of the trumpets. So if you go to that passage and read the whole context, it, it's all the, the focus needs to stay on the trumpets. That's what the whole passage is about. So yes, there's there's reference to uh, sin offerings and burnt offerings, but the, the tr- it's the trumpets that are blown as these offerings are offered, and that is a reminder of this covenant between the, the Lord and the nation of Israel. So it's, the, it's talking about the blowing of these trumpets. It doesn't, it, it's not specifically talking about, it's not calling this anamnesis the, the sin offering and burnt offering. No, the anamnesis is a reminder of the relationship between God and Israel in that passage. It's, it, the anamnesis is not equivalent to sin offerings and burnt offerings. So I think Catholics are trying to take a little bit too much out of this Numbers 10.10 10, uh, passage. Anyway, back to our, our quote here. The author of Hebrews sees the Old Testament sacrifices in the same light. And then they're going to reference Hebrews 10.3. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder, that's again, that's anamnesis, of sin year after year. When we consider these sacrificial overtones of anamnesis combined with the sacrificial meaning of poiete, which is a, a form of uh, poieto, the verb I was talking about earlier, we have good reason to believe Luke's use of anamnesis suggests the Last Supper is a sacrifice. So again, they're saying, you know, in in the Bible accounts of Jesus' Last Supper, there's sacrificial overtones, and so therefore the Last Supper is a sacrifice. Then they say, well, it's the same sacrifice as what Jesus offered on Calvary, and it's the same sacrifice that they offer over and over again at Mass. They are representing the same sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. All right? Now, again, I would... I would come back and say, of course, there are sacrificial overtones in the words used at the Last Supper. The Last Supper is the Passover meal that they are celebrating, and the Passover meal is a sacrifice. Jesus is taking the symbols from the Passover meal and applying it to himself. So yes, there's going to be sacrificial overtones. That does not mean that the Last Supper itself is the same sacrifice as what Jesus is going to offer the next day on the cross. And so, you know, I looked up all the uses of anamnesis in the Bible. It's translated sometimes as a memorial offering or a memorial portion, and then also translated as a reminder. So when you think about a, a memorial service in honor of someone, it is, it is to remember their life. So this the word memorial, the, the reminder, remembrance, that is the purpose. That is the main point behind this word anamnesis. It, it sometimes is talking about sacrifices, but it doesn't have to mean sacrifices. And then let me, let me read Hebrews 10.3 again. 
it says, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. So in in these repetitive sacrifices, there is an anamnesis, a reminder of sins. The as, as In the Old Testament, when they had to keep coming back on the Day of Atonement and repeating this sacrifice year after year, it served as a reminder of the sin of the people. That, that sin was not truly and fully forgiven. They had to keep offering this sacrifice as a, as a covering over their sin. Now, the Lord's Supper is said to be an anamnesis. It, the Lord's Supper is repeated by Catholics in the Mass, but, the, but also the Lord's Supper is repeated amongst Protestant Christians. And so it is not a reminder of sin. Rather, it is a reminder of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. But it is a reminder. It is, it is not a representation of the same sacrifice Jesus offered on the cross. It's a reminder of what Jesus did on the cross. Again, Jesus said, Tetelestai, it is finished. The debt is paid. It is, it is done on the cross. It, it is, it's not something that has to be represented over and over again. So the Last Supper, or, or excuse me, the Lord's Supper, when when I partake of communion. I, it is representing what Jesus did for me. And again, there's a subtle difference, but at the same time, a massive distinction that needs to be made between representing what Jesus has done on the cross versus re-presenting this sacrifice of the cross over and over and over again. See, when you re-present something, it's because they don't believe that when you celebrated Mass last time that that your sins are taken care of. Your 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 sins in the past are taken care of, but then you, as soon as you walk out of that church, you're you're sinning again, and so you're you're getting more and more sin added to your account. So then you got to come back to mass. You got to get more grace, and and that that mass uh, when you celebrate mass, your sins for that previous week are also forgiven. So you just got to keep coming back and partaking of the bread and the wine in order to get more forgiveness for the sins that you've committed since the last mass. And so that is extremely different from the the Lord's Supper being a a reminder of what Jesus did on the cross. So again, this word anamnesis, the main concept is that it is a reminder of something. And so when you're reading Bible passages and this word comes up, you got to just ask yourself, what is the, what is being remembered here? What is the purpose of of the of remembering something? Now, why do I believe when we talk about this this passage in general in 1 Corinthians of do this in remembrance of me? Why do I believe what I believe versus what Catholics believe? Well, my answer is really simple. I just read the very next verse because Paul is going to tell us what this all means. So when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, in the very next verse, and we have Paul's account of it in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26, uh, we, we can read, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what you're doing. When when you when you have the Lord's Supper, you are proclaiming what Jesus did on the cross. You are proclaiming to yourself and to those 
that are partaking with you, it is a proclamation of what Jesus did on the cross. It, it, okay, so here's what Paul does not say in 1 Corinthians 11. He does not say, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you are representing Jesus' sacrifice so that your sins that, uh, that you've committed since the last Mass can be forgiven. No, he, he doesn't say that. He says you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. So the Lord's Supper is a remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross, and it is a proclamation of what Jesus did on the cross. It is not a representation of the sacrifice. I know I've said that a million times, but this is it's, it's subtle but so key to understanding the difference in Catholic Mass versus Protestant communion. Now, notice again this, this concept that in, in Catholicism, once transubstantiation has happened, it's no longer bread and wine. You don't call it bread and wine. You call it the consecrated host or the body of Christ or the, the blood of Christ. You don't treat it as if it's just bread and wine, and you don't, you don't call it that. But notice what, what we have here in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread... And drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Why would he still call it bread here? Shouldn't he call it, for as often as you eat this body of Christ and drink his blood, you proclaim? No. I mean, he, he could say that because symbolically that's what it is. But instead, he just calls it bread. There's there's no problem with, with calling it bread because the bread is is just a symbol of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. All right, let me give you some quotes from early church fathers. Now, I'm just going to give a few, and let me give a disclaimer here. There is There are tons of quotes from early church fathers. We, we are blessed to have a lot of documents from early back, you know, early on where there's different controversies going on within the church and we can read about all those. And they're helpful because they, they, help, they help us understand how people interpreted the Bible back then. It does not mean that their interpretation is infallible. So when when we go in church history, when I look at a figure in church history, and let's say he wrote a book and I read it, I am not bound to believe what exactly what they believe just because they lived earlier than me. I am bound to believe the Bible. Okay, that well, at least this is what I believe, because I believe in sola scriptura. I am bound to believe and obey what is taught in the Bible. So I can go to an early church father, I can agree with them on some things and disagree with them on others, but the standard is what does the Bible actually teach? So that is that is how I approach quotes from the early church fathers. Now in Catholicism, they make these such bold claims that they are the constant faith that Jesus Christ started and you know the constant church of 2,000 years, and that all of their dogmas were always believed by the Catholic Church because nothing has changed with their, with their dogmas. So when they go back and look at early church fathers, they have to read them a certain way so that, that things agree with their dogmas. And so they'll take certain words and and shove on those, pour on those, all the, the concepts that we have in Roman Catholicism today, they'll apply that to words used and, and quotes by early church fathers, you know, a th- over a, a thousand years ago. And so that's that's what's going on a lot of times in these quotes. And that's why it's it's a very tough field to get into because you can essentially find a quote from an early church father to justify 
about any <laughs> any belief, really. Um, and so I hate to get quoting a bunch, but let me just give you an example. Now, these quotes are taken from a debate, James White versus Robertson Genis, and the debate is called, Is the Mass Biblical? So first, let me preface this with a statement from the Council of Trent, and this is in session 22, entitled, On the Sacrifice of the Mass. And so in one of the first few paragraphs there, they lay out the basic doctrine of Roman Catholic Mass, and then it ends with, even as the Catholic Church has always understood and taught. And so again, this concept of that everything in the Catholic Church, as far as dogmas and doctrines are concerned, has been the, you know, has ever been understood by the church that way. I, I emphasized that phrase when we talked about papal infallibility. Now, Philip Schaff is a church historian, and, and James White quotes him in, in the debate. But essentially, Philip Schaff, Schaff says that there, there were two main views in early church history regarding the, the Lord's Supper. There was a spiritualistic view and a materialistic view. And so that, that's no problem for me as a Protestant because, again, I, I believe the Bible. The Bible is my only standard. I don't have to have everybody in church history agreeing. But in Catholicism, for them to claim that this has always been understood this way and that you know that only the faithful members of, of the true Church of Christ have, they've always believed that Mass is the same as what Mass is today, that is a problem for them when a church historian says that there were two different views. And so transubstantiation, this, this idea, this, this word, uh, was not really used until the 12th century. Now, they, you know, Catholics will go back and, and can sort of say, well, this guy sort of was talking about it. He just used some different language. But in the, you know, around the 12th century, as this, this idea of transubstantiation is, is first being used and then later clarified, I talked about Thomas Aquinas being in, involved with that, then the church starts treating the bread and wine differently. So this is when you have the, the traditions of having the, taper, the tabernacle as part of the church. It's like this box that's built into the church where the, the Eucharist is stored and the PYX, P -Y -X, which is like a little container. It has to be made a, a, of, of certain materials, and, and that is used to store the, the bread so people can take to the sick and the elderly. Uh, the sacrarium, which is a like a sink that empties out into the ground instead of in the sewage system. That's what that is what's used to wash out the the chalice where the blood of Christ was. Um, so all these these um, rituals of how to care for and and treat the bread and wine change as the church starts te teaching about transubstantiation. In fact, children and the laity, the common people, were not allowed to drink the cup because there was a fear that they would spill the blood of Christ. Now, this is not a concept that the early church was dealing with. They, you know, people just, if you were a Christian, you partook of the, the Lord's Supper, the, the bread and the wine. Um, so, so later on, as this development that, oh, this is actually the transubstantiation and that you, the, the blood is the real body of Christ, that, that changes the way the church is treating the elements. So if you want to hear a lot of good quotes on both sides, because they both quote early church fathers, check out that debate, Is the Mass Biblical? by James White versus Robert St. Genis, and I'll leave a link in the episode notes. But um, 
I think the most powerful quotes for the Protestant side of things are from St. Augustine himself. And so uh, 354, St. Augustine lived from 354 to 430 AD. And so here's a few quotes about the, the Lord's Supper, the, the Eucharist. He says, while we consider it no longer a duty to offer sacrifices, we recognize sacrifices as part of the mysteries of revelation. He's talking about here the Old Testament sacrifices by which the things prophesied were foreshadowed. Again, the Old Testament sacrifices foreshadowed what Christ would do. Now, he, he continues, for they were our examples, and in many and various ways, they all pointed to the one sacrifice which we now commemorate. So in talking about the Lord's Supper, he, he says that the, the, we are commemorating, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are commemorating, remembering, uh, memorializing the one sacrifice offered by Jesus. Again, to continue his quote, now that this sacrifice has been revealed and has been offered in due time, sacrifice is no longer binding as an act of worship while it retains its symbolic authority. So he says there that we no longer have to it's offering sacrifice, which is what mass is. It's representing the same sacrifice. He says sacrifice is no longer binding as an act of worship. It but it but its symbolic authority remains. So in t- partaking of the Lord's Supper, you are you are recognizing that there are symbols used to remind you of Jesus Christ, but it is not that we are we have to offer sacrifices now as an act of worship. Now, uh, later on in the debate, James White was challenged by Robert Sengenis, and so Sengenis says this, quote, Can Mr. White show us a sample where Augustine shows us one time where he says, I don't believe in the church's belief in the real presence of of Christ in the Eucharist. So to that, James White, when it was his time to speak, uh, he gives these two quotes here. This is, a, this is all from St. Augustine as well. Who is the bread of the kingdom of God but he who says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven? Do not get your mouth ready but your heart. On this occasion, it was that the parable of this supper was set forth. Lo, we believe in Christ. We receive him with faith. In receiving him, we know what to think of. We receive but little, and we are nourished in heart. It is not then what is seen, but what is believed that feeds us. Therefore, we too have not sought for that outward sense. And then another quote by Augustine, This is then to eat the meat. Not that which perishes, but that which endures into, unto eternal life. To what purpose do you make ready teeth and stomach? Believe, and you have eaten already. Now, that last quote is a, a perfect segue into next week's episode. So next week, I hope to wrap up this little mini-series on Catholic Mass, and I'll be discussing John 6. So this is a, a favorite of Catholics in defending their belief of um, the, the body of transubstantiation. And so let me read the, the main passage here for you in John 6. It's verses 52 through 56. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said, to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. <laughs>